Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome into another live edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, the rare three box with Mark Schofield, and it's very deserving to have Mark on here with us. We are going to talk quarterbacks per usual whenever I have Mark on. We usually deep dive into the QBs, so obviously we're going to get into the draft QBs in a second. Uh, Justin Fields, uh, all the way down to Jamie Newman and Davis Mills and Kyle Trask and all those guys as well. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of it, we did want to discuss quickly just the Jets trading of Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers. And this trade apparently came together when the Jets were at Justin Fields' pro day at Ohio State uh, with a Carolina there as well and I think Carolina took one look at Justin Fields' uh, throwing session at his pro day and was like this guy's not making it to us at eight right and and then they decided to make this move for Sam Darnold so that's where things stand right now it's uh, the Jets I think we can basically sharpie in Zach Wilson at this point to New York and we can maybe get into that a little bit too but just uh, Mark your initial reaction to the Jets a, giving up on Sam Darnold, and B, just should Patriots fans, I, I don't want to use the word worried because I don't think anybody's ever truly worried about the Jets, but does Zach Wilson move the needle at all for you? Because to me, it kind of feels like they're trading Sam Darnold for a younger Sam Darnold at, at this point. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely some of that, Evan. I mean, I, I think with respect to this trade, Carolina was looking at it like, we could sit at eight and maybe get QB four or five in this draft. We might not like that quarterback at all. Um, you know, potentially QB four could be Justin Fields, as crazy as that sounds to me. Um, but look, Adam Schefter, Daniel Jeremiah are out today saying that it's Mac Jones at three, which again, okay. Um, so Carolina was like, look, we're not going to roll the dice that he's going to be there. We'll take some sort of agency over this decision and we'll go get a quarterback. We'll get a year or two out of Sam Donald. We can build around him. If he works out great. If not, we'll have to reset the quarterback decision two years from now. And if anybody could sort of fix Sam Darnold, aside from just getting him out from Adam Gase, maybe Joe Brady could do it. So I understand it from Carolina's perspective. I think as far as Wilson to the Jets, um, it's a scheme fit. You know, you see the production jump he had from his sophomore year to his junior year. It was in a lot of those outside zone, boot action, LaFleur, Shanahan, McVay system, which is going to be running. Um, so the scheme, it makes sense. I mean, you know, you say Sam Darnold, I say maybe there's some Baker to him. Yeah. Um, either way, it's more of a guy that right now I think you win with. Well, what's around him in New York right now that truly moves the deal? I mean, you're going to need to figure out offensive line. You're going to need to get more weapons around him. Look, Corey Davis is a nice addition. I think Denzel Mims has promised, but you're going to need some more receivers, I think. You might need to address running back at some point. You're obviously going to look at the defensive side of the ball with the Jets. And so I still think the Jets are a year or two away. And it always seems like they're a year or two away right now. So I don't think that really changes things much. I'd be more worried if it's Justin Fields at two, um, but I don't think yeah. that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's what I threw out there yesterday was uh, that Phil Perry actually said Patriots fans react with a, a gif of how you feel about going up against Zach Wilson twice a year. And I, I broke the rules and said I would rather go against – Zach Wilson than Justin Fields twice a year for the next five to ten years, and that's sort of how I feel. The reason why I made the Darnold comparison was I feel like both of these quarterbacks are on the on the at their best when they're on the move, 
out of structure, yeah. kind of doing their own thing and freewheeling a little bit. Whereas when they have to stand in the pocket, make a throw in the progression, use their footwork. And the one thing with Darnold, I think a lot of people have pointed out at this point is that he never really got his feet aligned with the throws down the field. It always seemed like his feet were pointed in the wrong direction or a little bit off or something like that. And I sometimes see the same thing with Zach Wilson when he has to just stand in an NFL pocket and deliver a throw down the field. That's not necessarily his comfort zone, right? His comfort zone, like you said, Mark, is outside the pocket, moving actions, bootlegs, things like that, where he can just let his natural gifts and his ability to just kind of make plays take over. And I don't know if the Jets necessarily are getting a quarterback if they do take Zach Wilson, who is that much cleaner mechanically, that much more, you know, and that, uh, you know, quality in terms of pocket play as what they had with Sam Darnold. But I, I guess time will tell. Alex, I feel free to jump in here anytime that you want to, because I know that we talk about Zach Wilson not necessarily being QB2 in our eyes compared to how he is favored in what seems like NFL circles, or at least the most important circle in New York. Yeah, I mean, let the Jets screw up. I'm fine with that. I don't really care. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll take the Carolina angle of it. And what I like what they did and after the San Francisco trade two weeks ago, this is what I was kind of campaigning for the Patriots to do. And now obviously it's changed again, but when it looked like the Patriots wouldn't be able to trade up, I was saying trade out of the first round, pick up premium assets next year. And then once all these teams solve their quarterback problems, right? Cause you're going to have a lot of teams now that aren't looking for a quarterback next year. You have a lot of teams that are invested long-term. You're going to be one of the few teams looking to trade up, and you're going to have a ton of assets to do it. So let's say Sam Darnold just has a miserable year in Carolina. Maybe Adam Gase just ruined him and there's no coming back. They now have, you know, they're probably going to have two top 40 picks next year. They're going to have a lot of assets where they can go up and move up and get aggressive. And whoever the Zach Wilson is, whoever the Justin Fields is next year, they're in a good spot to go up and get that guy right now. So, you never want to just give away a year in the NFL. And I think when you have Sam Darnold, you're not quite doing that as opposed to if the Patriots had gone through that strategy. Um, but, you know, I think this is a good trade for them. I think that they don't really lose out on anything. We've talked about this before. Outside of Trevor Lawrence, I think there's some good quarterbacks in this draft, but I don't know that you're missing any chances, right? There's going to be another guy like Justin Fields at some point. There's going to be another guy like Zach Wilson at some point. And Carolina's not going to you know, totally sell the farm, what they would have had to give up to get to four between jumping the Patriots, between possibly jumping the Broncos, between paying the tax for trading within the division. Uh, it just wasn't going to be worth it for them. And they're, they're now in a good position short term with the quarterback. And I think they've set themselves up long term as well. Yeah, I think that's a lot of good points there about Carolina. It is really interesting about the Patriots, though. Now, there's not a whole lot of competition to trade up in this draft to get some of these QBs. And besides Lawrence and Wilson, it kind of feels like everybody else is now on the table for New England. And, and the player that I really wanted to talk to you about today, Mark, was Justin Fields because – the reports are out there, and look, this time of year it's lying season. Maybe the Patriots are putting this out there that they like Justin Fields because they actually like Mac Jones or Trey Lance, and they just want to get everybody off their scent. But there's just a lot of narratives. There's a lot of discussion around Justin Fields right now and why he has sort of fallen from consensus QB2 in a lot of places to maybe even QB4 at this point in some places with Mac Jones jumping him as well. So – I guess what are your thoughts on Fields because I think it's a difficult discourse because on the one hand, he's so physically talented and he does do a lot of the little things, a lot of the progressions and reading the field and stuff like that, full field progressions in Ohio State scheme. He does do a lot of those things at a somewhat consistent basis. But then there are times when he gets a little bit prone into failing to get through the progression at a good speed and holds on to the football at times. And I know a lot of people have broken down how that's sort of the nature of the Ohio State offense in a lot of ways too. So where do you kind of fall on the field's discourse? Because I, I know it's kind of taken a lot of turns and some of them a little bit rocky with Dan Orlovsky and stuff like that. I think we can all say the three of us, we have zero concerns about the guy's work ethic or anything like that. But in terms of what you see on the tape with his ability to get through a progression, with his ability to read the field, where are you at with Justin Fields? I mean, he's my quarterback, too, in this draft. And, you know, I think he's a lot closer to being QB1 than QB3. Um, That's just me. Um, But I do think it's fair to point out that 
a lot of the initial reservations, like the, the field's discourse has taken two turns. First, it was he can't get through reads. He can't get through progressions. He's slow mentally. And there's been some pushback on that. Myself, Benjamin Solak, Seth Galita, others, Evan, you've done some work on this as well, that point out that, no, 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 he does go through reach. He does go through full field progressions. He does right. get through them. And he, when you look at the Ohio State offense, as Nate Tice pointed out, there are a lot of option routes, some of which take place downfield. And so you have to wait to see which way the receiver is going to break to make sure you're on the same page. Otherwise, you get the kind of interception that ended their Clemson game two years ago where they had a chance to win that game and he threw an interception in the end zone. He throws middle of the field. The guy breaks to the outside. Um, there were some valid reservations about that after his first year as a starter. I had those concerns last summer. But I think if you watch his body of work this year, you see a quarterback that started to speed up that mental process, that does get through the progressions, that does work through reads, that look off safeties downfield and do some of those little things that you talked about, Evan. And so then the second sort of wave was the doesn't love the game, doesn't have a good work ethic, which, you know, it is lion season. I'll just say that. I haven't heard a bad thing about Justin Fields from that perspective. So it's been a weird sort of draft cycle. But he's my QB, too. I've been very impressed by what he did this past season. I think if you look at where he was two years ago against Clemson and where he was this past season, I know some of the players on the Clemson defense changed, but the scheme was the same. And he threw six touchdown passes. He picked it apart. And he went through progression reads in that game. If you want examples of it, I've done some work on that that you can find on YouTube. If you look at... The two games everybody brings up, Indiana Northwestern, where he struggled, I think there were moments when he trusted his arm too much. You know, you look at the first interception against Indiana, trusted his arm too much. You look at the other two interceptions, he's just trying to make things happen, relying on his athleticism. I mean, I do think he sometimes falls into traps of trusting his athletic ability and talent too much, whether it's his arm, whether it's his mobility and athleticism. It'll have to sort of unlearn that. But I'd rather a quarterback that has to sort of dial things back than dial things up at the next level. I think he's incredibly talented. I think he has some of the best arm talent in this class. I think he's an incredible athlete, which is where the game is trending at the quarterback position. I think if you, again, look what he's asked to do in that offense, you see progression reads, full field reads, look at defenders off. Like he checks so many boxes for me. And this is a kid that has been quarterback 1B to Trevor Lawrence's 1A for years. And I'm not going to sort of just put that to the side now and get distracted by Zach Wilson, who is a good quarterback prospect, or Trey Lance, or Matt Jones are all good quarterback prospects. This kid's on a, been on a big stage his entire life. He's lived up to that his entire life. And look, if he's in range for the Patriots, whether it's, you know, at 15 or they can get up to eight or whatever, I've said to people, it's a buy the jersey moment if they get their hands on Justin Fields. Like, period, full stop. I think he's the second-best quarterback in this class, and I would be overjoyed if he's there for New England somehow in the first round. Well, so so let me ask you this, because you said you have him closer to QB1 than QB3, and then the other guys you mentioned, right? Zach Wilson kind of came on. He wasn't really on at least the first-round radar until the season started. Mac Jones was, I think, thought of as undrafted heading into this season, right? And and we didn't know what Trey Lance was going to be. And now all of a sudden people are talking about this unprecedented quarterback class, right? And you could have quarterbacks go one through four and all of that. Is this class really unprecedented or is the hype driven because of an un, an unprecedented need at the position in your mind? I, I, I think, Alex, I think it's more driven by the unprecedented need at the position, the fact that we've got so many teams that could be in this quarterback market. I mean, you look at just – you know, even Detroit at seven, they just traded for Jared Goff. I wouldn't rule out them taking a quarterback if there's somebody they like available at seven. You know, obviously Carolina was in the mix until yesterday. Denver at nine, New England at 15. There could be a surprise team like there is every so often. We saw it with the Kansas City Chiefs with the Mahomes deal. You know, people thought maybe they go quarterback, but they didn't think they would trade up to go get one. Um, but this is, you know, a, certainly a year where the need at the position is such that we're sort of constructed and fabricated first round picks, top 10 picks, top three picks. What a guy like Matt Jones graded in a vacuum is probably a round two prospect, but he's going to go maybe third overall because of the need of the position. I do think it's a very talented group, particularly at the top. Um, I understand why all five guys are going to go in the first round. I do think there's a bit of a drop off after them. Um, in the years I've been doing this, I, I think it's somewhat comparable to say the 2018 class where you also saw five first rounders, but you know, Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round, Josh Rosen had his slide. We might see, you know, five in the top 10, three in the top three. Um, 
So I think it's more driven by need than anything else. You know, I looked at that 2018 class. All those guys were sure first rounders. Even Josh Allen, who I didn't like that right. much. You understand it. With, right. with Jones, it's a bit more of a question. And even with Lance, it's a bit more of a question. So I think it's more driven by team need than anything else. So I'm, I'm just curious because you brought up something interesting and I've been wondering this a ton. You said Mac Jones in a bubble, you'd give a second round grade. How many of these five guys in a bubble do you give a first round grade or a top 10 grade? Uh, four. The first four okay. for me. So it's Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, Lance. Those guys get first round grades. And, and with, with Lawrence and Fields, it's like top 10. Like I understand why, okay. you know, those guys should be top 10 players in a vacuum. You know, Lance, there are some question marks obviously about the level of competition, you know, the experience factor and things like that that we can get into with him if we want. And look, Mac Jones is a fine NFL quarterback. He's a guy that I think you win games with. Um, but I don't, he doesn't really transcend schemes or systems or offenses. I don't see a guy that's going to truly raise the level of play around him. I think he's somewhat limited schematically and that doesn't spell out first round quarterback to me. Like that spells out like second round quarterback, but I understand given the need, he will probably go in the first round. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up all the stuff about Justin Fields going through progressions and, and getting through those full field reads in Ohio State's offense because I think that there is a confusion between people being like me who are just saying there's still stuff to work on with Justin Fields, right? You know, he's not a perfect prospect and nobody is versus me saying he's a one-read quarterback, right? You know, I think that we often – operate in extremes in, in draft analysis, and that's it. You're either in the camp that thinks that Justin Fields is a one-read quarterback or in the camp that thinks that he gets through a full-field progression just fine. And to me, I feel like he's got a really great basis of foundation of where he should be right now given his age and given the fact that he's still a college quarterback. But to, I would use the kind of comparison that he has, like, an undergraduate degree in progressions, right? Like, he yeah. understands these things. Now the next thing is to be great, to be truly great in the NFL. I just want to see him go up to that graduate level degree, right, and get that master's in it. And I think the one thing that I did notice with him is that when the picture changes on him post-snap, I think that this has to do a lot with the Ohio State offense and the the fact that they're changing so many routes and converting so many routes based off the coverage, when it does change post-snap, he does maybe hang up a little bit early on in the progression on his first read, waiting to see, is the guy going to see the post-snap you know, safety rotation, or is he not going to see it, right? And you kind of have to decipher those things a little bit. The other question I wanted to ask you was just, how do you feel his fit in New England's offense is in terms of if they go with the McDaniels-Brady playbook, right? If they go with a timing-based rhythm passing game versus if you draft Justin Fields in the top ten and the Patriots trade up for him, then you should throw out your old playbook and remake your playbook around the quarterback that you just spent a capital on in the first round. But how do you feel he fits the old-school Patriot way, the old-school playbook? Because he hasn't had a ton of experience under center. He hasn't had a ton of experience with – a system that's not necessarily a vertical passing spread type of system. Yeah, it, that's a fascinating thing more than anything else is the sort of potential scheme fit with Fields in New England because I think there are components of what they would do conceptually or what they used to do conceptually, that Brady McDaniels offense, that I think would work, the option routes, the conversions, the stuff from a mental standpoint where, you know, if it's cover three, if it's cover six, cover seven, whatever, you're doing different things, the receivers are doing different things. There are elements of that Ohio State playbook that you can see similarities with with the Patriots playbook from the McDaniel-Brady era. Um, so I think that part would fit. The sort of timing and rhythm is a bit more of a question mark. Yeah. Um, you know, Fields' ability to throw with anticipation, it's that similar, like, he's at, like, a, an economics 201 level where Brady right. was like, you know, teaching like masters and graduate right. courses on that early in his career. So that's certainly something he would have to fill in anticipation, time and rhythm, getting the ball out on time, what it needs to be there, anticipating the breaks and the coverages and things like that. Like he's done it. There are examples of it that you can pull up on film. There's some time and rhythm pros you can see from him, but it's an incomplete body of work at best. I think he could get there, but I do think that look, if they draft Justin Fields, you're building the offense around him, which I think is more vertical-based. I think it's more downfield-based. I think you sort of build around his arm talent and his athleticism. I don't think you force him to be Tom Brady in the Tom Brady system. I think you let him be Justin Fields in a more vertical-based passing offense. And, look, this is a coaching staff. This is an offensive coordinator that went from Tom Brady to Cam Newton. 
and sort of readjust the offense on the fly. I think they'll be able to figure it out if they're lucky enough to draft Justin Fields. We're going to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts don't sit on the sidelines anymore get in on the action don't forget to use that promo code clns50 to receive a 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit yeah i think that they got caught in that cam brady where do we go with this sort of thing last year at times and yeah. that's that would be my only reservation with Justin Fields is if you draft him then you need to play a Justin Fields offense right and you kind of have to throw out most of the Brady stuff and and sort of say okay we're going to become a vertical spread passing system we're not going to be predicated on timing and rhythm and anticipation in between the numbers and things like that because that's not what's going to make Justin Fields great you know and maybe he can grow in that capacity but if you're going to really truly have him reach his ceiling then you sort of have to let him be who he is and I thought last year there were times especially like that San Francisco game for example where they're making Cam Newton try to stand back there and be Tom Brady and it's just not a good fit for him and I think Justin Fields sort of fits into a similar category there yeah no I I think that's right and you know he could get there like I I think he could develop that but I think you know, if you're going to expend the resources of the draft capital, we anticipate they would need to do to go get Justin Fields. I don't think you then force him to be a, a quarterback. He's not. I think yeah. you build around what he can do early in his career because you're going to want to get him on the field. Like, you know, and, and that's kind of the reason why I think, say, Atlanta is out of the QB game now um, because, look, they're tied to Matt Ryan for the next two seasons. No sense letting somebody sit for two years. I think, yes, if you have Cam, that's nice, you know, a nice backstop. But yeah. you're going to want to get Justin Fields on the field early, and to do that, you're going to want to cater the, the offensive assistant to what he does. So let, let's let's move on now to the third pick because I – so let me play devil's advocate for a second because the reports out, are out right now that it's Mac Jones. And, look, I'm a, I, I tweeted this when that trade was made, and it was initially announced maybe Mac. I'm a huge Mac Jones fan. I wouldn't give up that much to get him. I think if you're trading up that high, you're doing it for ceiling, not floor. And Mac Jones, to me, is the floor guy in this draft. That being said – and here's the devil's advocate part. San Francisco got to the Super Bowl two years ago, right? And they still pretty much have that roster intact. If anything, I think it's better. They were just bad last year because they were hurt. And if and what really held them back was that Jimmy Garoppolo, as he tends to do, couldn't stay healthy. So if they believe Mac Jones is the most NFL ready and can essentially be a more reliable Jimmy Garoppolo and can get them back to the Super Bowl over the length of that rookie contract and will give them more financial stability – could this be a case, like, people said that, that Kansas City overpaid for Patrick Mahomes when they traded up for him. Nobody says that anymore. I'm not saying Mac Jones is going to be Patrick Mahomes. What I'm saying is, if San Francisco knows they have a Super Bowl roster minus the quarterback, and they can't count on their quarterback, is that the logic here? And at the same time, Mark, for you, if we're looking at Mac Jones versus, say, Trey Lance, who I think me and Evan have as QB3, and, and they're sitting there at the third pick, the, the, that's the floor versus the ceiling guy. And would you rather have the floor guy with that kind of roster or the ceiling guy in the long-term potential? Alex, I think you're exactly right with respect to the 49ers and Mac Jones. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why people have sort of made the connections between Mac Jones and San Francisco. You look at the kinds of quarterbacks that Kyle Shanahan has worked with that has sort of liked, you know, the, the, the Kirk Cousins comparisons are out there. I understand why. And I think, you know, like you said, Jones is the floor guy. He's the safe, comfy blanket that's not going to make you look bad. And if you are a roster that thinks you're already there, minus the quarterback, then you draft for floor. You draft for floor. And, you know, when it comes down to Lance versus Fields, I think that distinction, you know, comes down to where you think you are as a roster. Like when Carolina was in the quarterback game at eight, and they had the opportunity to draft either Lance or Jones, I think Lance would have made more sense because they might be a year or two away. They're still trying to build out the rest of the roster. And so you take that swing on ceiling. 
But if you're a team like San Francisco and you think you're you're two years removed from a Super Bowl run, you've still got most of the pieces in place, and you just need better consistency from the quarterback position, then you draft for floor, and, and Mac Jones can be that guy. Are there things that he does that are NFL-ready? Certainly. Are there things that he needs to improve on? I, I think so. Um, does he sort of fit the modern game? No, I think he's more of the throwback type um, with respect to athleticism and handle and pressure. But if you watch him, he has a very good understanding of protections and specifically their strengths and their weaknesses. He knows where the weak points are in protection schemes. So he knows early in the down, if I've got a bail, if I've got a vacate, because we've got two blitz and linebackers, my running back can't block them both and I get to escape, he'll do that. Happened early in the game against Notre Dame, where they had a two linebacker blitz from the right side. Najee Harris couldn't pick up them both, so he had to spin away early in the down. So he's got a good understanding of that side of the game. It makes sense for San Francisco if they go this route. And in terms of like paying too much, if they get to a Super Bowl with Mac Jones and you know this season or next, there's no there's no price that's too high to pay for that. So I thank you. Yes, like, that's what I've been saying this whole time. If you believe in the guy, you can't overpay. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. And, and a lot of us that's sort of on the outside look at it say, well, he might have been there at 12, maybe, maybe not. And if you firmly believe that you're close enough and this guy is like the missing piece, then go get him at three. Like, I might disagree with it from an evaluation standpoint. I may say, look, Matt Jones is QB5. He's a second-round grade. But if you think that just Jimmy Garoppolo plus, which is what Matt Jones might be, is enough to get you to a Super Bowl, then by all means, go do it. And if you're right, all of us on the outside are the idiots. And if you're wrong, well, you know, you're wrong. But it's worth the risk if you're San Francisco. If you're a team that's got to fill in more pieces, then maybe you take that swing on ceiling like with a Trey Lance. I think for Kyle Shanahan, based off of his track record, and this is his love for Jimmy, his love for Kirk Cousins, who plays a factor in this take, I just feel like he doesn't want to teach decision-making. He doesn't want to have to coach up decision-making understanding, feel for the game. Yeah, Trey Lance would be the high-ceiling player. I think it's crazy, absolutely crazy, if they pass on Justin Fields to draft Mac Jones. But if we're talking about Mac versus a guy like Trey Lance, for example, then obviously there's a lot more to teach and a lot more to coach with a guy like Trey Lance to get him up to speed and get him up to that level. And I think for Kyle Shanahan, he just wants a a guy that can be a cog in the machine, right? A guy that can press all the right buttons and get all everybody in the right places and get the ball to the right receiver based off the progression because just like the Patriots in a lot of ways, Kyle Shanahan is so confident in his scheme that he just knows that if the quarterback runs it the right way, that it's going to get the job done regardless of everything else. And I think that that's where he stands with Mac Jones and all the reports out there, Schefter, said this morning on the radio that he'd be shocked if it's not Mac Jones at number three. And he mentioned that Kyle Shanahan is pounding the table for Mac Jones right now. And it's really just the scouts and John Lynch that are like, we're really going to trade up this entire hall to draft the guy with the lowest ceiling out of all of these guys that are going at the top of the draft. And Kyle Shanahan is saying he's the most cerebral player, right? He's the smartest guy in the room. And that's the guy that I want. And the last element of it, I think Mike Lombardi was the first one to throw this out there, that when Bill O'Brien arrived in Alabama to learn the Alabama offense as their new offensive coordinator, Nick Saban put him in a room with Mac Jones. And he said, Mac Jones is going to teach you the offense, right? And it wasn't the other coaches at Alabama. It wasn't Nick Saban himself. It was Mac Jones in the film room with the playbook, with Bill O'Brien, teaching him the Alabama scheme. And I think that that just – Kyle Shanahan's got to love that. I know Bill's probably got to love that too. And Kyle Shanahan, I think, is from the same sort of ilk as a Bill Belichick or a Josh McDaniels where they want that guy. They want the guy that's got the clicker in the film room, that's breaking down the tape like Tom Brady used to do, and they don't even need the coaches to necessarily even be in there. You know, I think that's the type of guy that they want. So from that standpoint, it makes sense. But, again, I think that they're crazy to pass on Justin Fields. Let's just say, theoretically, though, that this is all a smokescreen. They take Justin Fields at three. The Patriots' fit with Mac Jones is pretty obvious. I think, we, you know, we've all talked about it a lot at this point. But uh, the one thing that I thought was really interesting was that Mac Jones ran that 
stupid trick play at the end of his pro day, and he said it was a shout-out to Bill Belichick and Navy, right? So there, there's clearly a connection from both sides, I think, here, that, that Mac Jones wouldn't mind ending up in New England. Is there anything that you don't like about the fit for the Patriots with Mac Jones? Because I think we've all talked about all the reasons why it fits like a glove in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, the, the fit, it's easy to draw the connections. It's easy to draw the fit. I mean, if there's a role model for Matt Jones, it's Tom Brady in terms of pocket management and footwork and feel and all of those things. And so you can understand why if they really want to get back to that Brady Belichick sort of time and a rhythm offense that Matt Jones would be the guy out of this class that seems to fit at the easiest and the quickest in his NFL career. I mean, let's not forget part of the reason why Shanahan might be looking at Jones is he understands with practice times and CBA rules and all that, you don't have a ton of time to really develop somebody over the course of a single season. And if you are that close, coaching up lands, coaching up fields, that might be a two-year process, whereas Jones is ready with what you need to do. And so, you know, I understand from that point as well. And so, yes, the fit makes sense. The, the reservations about Jones, I think, are twofold. You know, the arm talent question is – it's a real one. It's a legitimate one because the arm is good, not great. It's sufficient more than impressive. And I think, look, you know, if he wins with his mind, time and rhythm and anticipation, you can negate some of that. But tight window throws and things like that that you will see in the NFL, regardless of system you're in, those are a bit of an unchecked box for him because of the guys he had around him at Alabama. And then there is the athleticism standpoint. And I understand that his model is Tom Brady and he can rely on footwork and feel and understand and, and decipher it and know protections inside and out like a watch it through. But at some point, you're going to have an unblocked edge rusher. And that was where he got into trouble. I mean, you watch that Georgia game. That was when he was pressured the most. It was early. It was often. He was struggling with it. You know, he had an interception off of a pressure play early in that game. And so that is a concern. Now, the Patriots offensive line is good, potentially great. Um, but that's also a concern. I think the fit works, um, but it's just the reservations I have about, about Mac Jones are universal, whether it's San Francisco or New England. Those are concerns that are going to be there. Yeah, I think it's funny that I remember I wrote about Mac Jones for the first time in January, right after the uh, the college football semifinal, and I said, this guy's got it, right? He, I can see it, yeah, maybe the arm talent, the athleticism isn't first round worthy, but everything else that he does on a football field, and he does so many of the little things correctly that you know that it's probably going to add up to a pretty good NFL quarterback. And people laughed at me. They were like, you're going to take Mac Jones in the first round. And now we're sitting here in April talking about Mac Jones at three overall in the draft. And I just think it's crazy how without even really playing a football game, this guy has gone from somebody that people felt like, okay, maybe if the Patriots trade back from 15, I, I'd feel comfortable with drafting right. Mac Jones. So now we're talking about – I mean, I remember, Evan, you and I were talking about it around that time. We were both like, yeah, at 46, this would be fantastic. Right. You know, but then I, I think the senior bowl really moved the needle for yeah. him. You know, uh, cause I remember he went down to the senior bowl. Now we weren't, I wasn't down there, but we had access to all the practice from thanks Jim Nagy uh, for hooking us up with that. And that Wednesday practice, you could feel the needle move like literally on the timeline in the DMs, chatting with people because he had a fantastic Wednesday practice. And anybody that's gone to the senior bowl knows that like Tuesdays, you're kind of like baseline day. Okay. Get a feel for these quarterbacks throw it to new receivers and things like that. Let's see what Wednesday and Thursday look like. He came out and had a fantastic practice on Wednesday, and that needle literally flipped overnight where it was, oh, this kid's a first-round pick now. Like, There's no way you can wait till say, 46 to get him. And so I do think that he's had a very good like pre-draft process, and that coupled with the need, like we talked about um, earlier in the show from Alex's question, that, that gets you to Mac Jones, you know, top-10 quarterback pretty much overnight. It's it's funny because I remember texting Evan this at the time because he had that great practice, right? I wasn't sold on Mac Jones. Alex definitely is the one that that swayed me to the Mac Jones. Right. This is this is after I saw. I remember in November I was yelling at Evan that he wouldn't yeah. take Mac Jones at fifteen. But um, I remember texting Evan after the Senior Bowl. I, I think I texted you this and said, "There's no way he's getting past eight because Matt Rule was his coach." Remember at the Senior Bowl, and I wonder, you know, if I put two and two together with these trades. And, and now we're hearing Mac Jones is going to San Francisco. I wonder if Carolina's plan was to try to get Mac Jones, and Matt Rule wanted him, it's, having it's seen him up close, that, and then figured out he couldn't and traded out. Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, tweeted that out last night. He's okay. like, this trade by Carolina was because they were targeting Mac Jones at eight, 
and now they know he's not going to be I swear there. I didn't see that before I said no, that. No, I believe you, man. I believe <laughs> yeah. you. But, like, that seems to be, like, the growing consensus now. You were ahead of the game here, Alex. They were targeting, you know, they were making the connections. Matt Rule saw Matt Jones up close. It was like, look, this kid can run Joe Brady's offense. And I have a good buddy that's an Alabama guy. And he has been in my DMs since, like, early October. Like, look, if Joe Burrow went first overall, like, why is it Mac Jones going first overall? And, I, you know, they both had a lot of talent around him. Um, but then you saw what, you know, Joe Brady did for Joe Burrow, and I'm sure Matt Rule was thinking, get Mac Jones in that same offense. Like, he could have a pretty good NFL rookie season, you know, if we put some weapons around him. But then once the Niners came up, they were probably like, well, I guess we're out now. So, yeah. All right, so let's get to the last of the top consensus quarterbacks, the elite tier guys, if you want to call it that, and discuss my guy Trey Lance, who isn't my top-rated quarterback. I have him at QB3, but he's my favorite quarterback in the draft just to watch. I I just thought his 2019 season at North Dakota State was just so much fun for so many different reasons. I think the fact that we have to put into context that Trey Lance – was doing that at 19 years old is just absolutely crazy from the mental standpoint of it. The fact that he was setting protections, getting them out of bad plays, reading pressures and things like that. There's so many great plays on his tape of him recognizing a blitz and, and getting to the right hot read or getting the ball out quickly to beat the blitz. And then there's obviously the downfield throws and the athleticism too. He's, I don't want to say he's a project, but I know a lot of people are dead set on him kind of sitting for a year. There are some mechanical things that I'm sure he's been working really hard with, with Quincy Avery over the last couple of weeks. But Mark, where do you sit on Trey Lance in terms of just, is he ready and is he there to play as a rookie? Or is this truly a guy that needs a Mahomes red shirt type of year? I mean, I think a red shirt type of year might benefit him depending on system. Like, when I studied Trey Lance last summer, which it turns out was basically the entire evaluation because he had just the one showcase game, you know, I was doing a show with Matt Waldman, and I remember telling Matt, this kid could walk into San Francisco and run Kyle Shanahan's offense, like, right now. Like, you see a lot of the similarities between what Shanahan does, under center, 21 personnel, play action, throw to the fullback in the flat, and then you watch – I've told people this before. You can go to YouTube. You can see videos from – NDSU's offensive coordinator doing some install stuff, talking about throwing to the tight ends, throwing to the fullbacks, breaking down Trey Lance film. It's forty nine ninety nine, but I paid it. It's worth it. And you just you can close your eyes and start thinking about having a San Francisco 49ers uniform. And I thought he could run that pretty much early as a rookie. Um, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the pick. I do think that in some other systems like New England's, you know, he might need that year to season. But I do think he's ahead of where people sort of put him from a mental perspective, you know, you talk about protections, you talk about making adjustments, you know, prior to his pro day, Randy Hedberg uh, met with the media, his quarterback's coach. And he talked about how, you know, they put everything on his plate that they gave Easton stick that they gave Carson Wentz, but they were doing it at his first start. You watch his first start against Butler. He has a 50 yard touchdown run. That was a check at the line of scrimmage guys. Like he saw a blitz coming. He audible to that. And he made it, pl- he made it work, made a play. And it's not just the fact that, that he was doing that. They let him do that in his first start as a redshirt freshman, the stuff they were letting Wentz do as a senior. Um, that speaks volumes to me about, you know, how they viewed him from a mental perspective. And so, you know, I think he's ahead of the game mentally than people give him credit for. I, I think, you know, in some offenses, like I said, San Francisco, he could run it right now. Are there things he needs to work on? Sure. Did he struggle when the post-snap looked at a match pre-snap expectations? Absolutely. He'd be the first to tell you that. He talked about that after his pro day, the Central Arkansas game, the picky through. He just didn't even see the safety, didn't expect him to be there. Are there mechanical things? Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, a guy that needs to tighten up the mechanics in the arm slot. But if you watch his pro day, you know, he's certainly been doing the work with Quincy Avery, who is a fantastic quarterback coach, um, who does a tremendous amount of work with players. And so I – I, I understand the talent and the alert. I mean, he's my QB4, but you got a QB3, QB2. I'm okay with all those rankings. I think he's a tremendous talent. And if you're a team that might be a year away, you want to take that swing on ceiling, absolutely go get this kid. He just Real, reminds me. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think I, I was going to ask kind of what you were going to answer, but who I, – because I think more than any – I've seen more player comps for Lance than any other player. I'm just curious who, who yours is. I know Evan's anti-comp, but – yeah, I'm generally anti-comp too. Uh, okay. I, more than anything else, Alex, I like steal other people's. 
Okay. Um, like, like when I do my write-ups, I'll just be like, oh, Mike Renner said this, which by the way, just a random aside here. Mike Renner compared Brevin Jordan to Clay Harbor, which if you dig in a little bit, you'll remember that Renner and Clay Harbor were on The Bachelor together. And it's one of the <laughs> funniest things I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, I, I, I had to tell Mike about this. I'm like, this is incredible, man. He's like, yeah, you know, I had a little fun with that one. Um, w- with regards to Lance, a lot of people said Dak, and I can kind of see that. Um, Matt Walden said Steve McNair. He's gotten a lot of McNair comparisons since. And I, I like that one. That. Um, you know, I, 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 I'll side with the, the Steve McNair one. I know there's been some, some pushback on the Steve McNair one recently. Tim Jenkins, who does some quarterback work, um, coaches quarterbacks as well. He's kind of pushed back on the Steve McNair one, but I, I could see the McNair thing because FCS, you know, Lance was the, like you look at guys like, you know, Trevor Lawrence, even Lamar Jackson, you know, when they run, they're trying to evade people. Lance wanted to run you over. And I got a lot of Steve McNair vibes, you know, thinking back to his days at Alcorn State. So I think McNair is a, is a good one. The reason why I I originally, and I, I am anti-comp, but people really like them and whatever. I, I mentioned Josh Allen because when I yeah, watch, that's another one too. Yeah. When I watch Trey Lance throw the football, it's a smooth release. He's a natural thrower. This isn't a guy that's fighting it, right? He's not yeah. fighting to get the ball out. And Josh Allen had a similar kind of thing, but he was just – mechanically flawed that his accuracy really suffered and I feel like with Trey Lance it's kind of similar and when you look at in terms of just Josh Allen's career trajectory I think that that's one that could really match up with Lance's where once he figures out the mechanics and he figures out you know all the certain sort of little things about his throwing motion he's going to be able to throw the ball with just fine accuracy so people that are concerned about Trey Lance's accuracy I I've never been concerned about his accuracy because I don't see a guy with a broken motion I don't see a guy that does isn't a natural thrower of a football I just see a guy that was 19 years old and just has some fine tuning to do and once he can get there I think he's going to be a much more accurate quarterback especially throwing the football down the field so that that's always been the sort of knock on him is that he's not he's not accurate right I think PFF has the number it's like 45 percent of his throws were accurate in 2019 and everybody's sort of hesitant on that but I really think that this is a guy that with repetition with the right coaching is going to figure out the accuracy thing. And I think a lot of it also is just sort of figuring out where do I place the ball relative to the coverage, relative where my receiver is. And those types of things don't always come for a guy that's 19 years old, you know, that, right. that's, that's so young. So eventually I think he'll get there. And and then you do have with Allen, he is a pretty mobile guy too. So, so maybe there is some of that as well, but mostly it's just sort of the buildup of the mechanics and knowing that, okay, I, I hate this to throw Lamar under the bus, but whenever I, I watch Lamar Jackson, even at Louisville, you saw a guy that had some issues throwing the football, right? Just, just didn't always look right. You know, it didn't always look uh, past the eye test in terms of how the delivery and all that sort of stuff. But with Trey Lance, I've never thought that about him. I, I've always thought, okay, this guy's got a good base, crisp footwork, smooth release. It's just not always consistent. And sometimes he loses it here and there. And, and that's sort of where uh, he can really make up for it. But I, I think that we're um, all in agreement, I, I think, on, on some of these elite guys. But, Alex, uh, let, let's get to some of the uh, the day two prospects. Yeah, so. Let, let, let me jump in here before we get to the individual day two prospects. Cause Mark, you need to settle this argument that me and Evan have been having. I'll try. I'll try. Which is basically that my case is, and you, you said earlier, right? That you believe there's a big drop between five yeah. and six in this draft. And Evan has said that what a responsible NFL team does is you throw darts at the quarterback position and you try to take a guy each year, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I just feel like they, they have their darts. I think. Cam Newton's a dart at this point. I think Jared Stidham's a dart. And if you're going to use a premium pick, a top 100 pick on a guy like Kellen Mond without knowing if he's going to start, he would be the highest. If he doesn't start for the Patriots, he'd be the highest quarterback ever picked to not start for that team. And I guess my question is, is there anybody really below that top five that's more than a dart? Or is it, you know, almost worth more to use that top 100 pick on another premium asset, improve the rest of your roster, and then, you know, dip back into in, in down in the 200s and grab a guy like Felipe Franks is the difference oh in pick 
worth the shot or, and I'm only, I, I'm asking you this Bill specifically. Well. Hang on. I've said this, I've said this tongue in cheek to Evan Mark, but I know you're a fan. At what point, if you don't get one of the top five guys and you're just kind of taking shots in the dark, just go sign Cole McDonald instead of wasting a draft pick. There you go. There you go, Alex. <laughs> I would much, I mean, honestly, I would probably prefer Cole McDonald to the bulk of the guys after the top five. I mean, I thank you. <laughs> I am generally a, I am generally in Evans camp where you consistently address the quarterback position every other year or so, even if it's a day three pick, because, you know, maybe you get a chance to develop somebody. Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. And also I'll be honest. The bulk of my work is evaluating quarterbacks, so it helps me get paid. Okay. So there's a, there's a bit of, you know, self-importance here as well. This isn't that year. Normally I'm the guy that's out there banging the table for the guy, you know, you draft on day three. I had Brett ripping QB4. I'm the guy that's like banging the table for the guy, kid that's going to go out and go seven of 19 for 84 yards and two picks in the Hall of Fame game and start selling insurance two months later. This isn't that year. I mean, is there a path to Kellen Mond being a good NFL quarterback? Sure. Davis Mills, sure. Um, but I, I do think that after you get out of the top five, there are more dart throws than anything else, to sort of use that analogy. I mean, I do think there are pathways. Like, I think Kyle Trask in a pure West Coast offense could be a serviceable NFL quarterback. Um, but you might want to expend that draft capital and improve in another position. The interesting thing for the Patriots is, you know, where do you go? You know, what, what else do you feel like you need to improve other than, say, a dart throw at quarterback? And so for the Patriots, they might still make that dart throw. But I think generally speaking, this is the year that, you know, Mel Kuyper said this about a month ago, and I think he's right. If you did a quarterback, it's either the top five or 2022. Like, I don't think you really can identify somebody, you know, a Mond or a Mills. And those are guys that I like, generally speaking, and say with any certainty, like, yeah, they'll develop into something. I don't think you can make that bet this year. Okay, so let, let me let me just step in here to make a case here for my guy, Kellen Mond, and some of okay. the quarterbacks. The reason why I I subscribe to the Ron Wolf theory that you should draft a quarterback every single year, right? Old Green Bay Packers GM, he said every single year you should draft a QB because you just never know, right? You never know if your guy's going to get hurt, if he's going to start to stink. You you just never know, right? So you take a quarterback every single year. So that's where I'm at with the Patriots right now because Cam Newton is not their long-term answer. So they should be taking a quarterback every single year until they find the guy, in my opinion. The second thing I'll say is that there's a bunch of tweets out there. I can't remember the exact stat of the quarterbacks drafted in the first five picks of the draft, and none of them besides Baker Mayfield are still with their current team. So I think it's since 2014 or something like that. Everybody else is playing for another team because they didn't work out with their original team. And you just don't know who's going to be the DAC. Who's going to be the Kirk Cousins? You just you don't know if you're going to be able to find that guy on day two. And that's where I kind of get into the conversations with Mon. I'm not as high on Kel, uh, Kyle Trask necessarily, but I wanted to ask you about Kellen Mon because he's somebody that was very unimpressive at times at Texas A&M, right? Really just wasn't a super impressive quarterback, definitely wasn't super impressive throwing the football down the field, not a ton of big-time throws, not a ton of, of throws that you can say, oh, wow, you know, damn, you know, that was a really great throw. Didn't happen too often with Kellen Mond. But you did see a guy that I felt like got it, you know, understood how to play the quarterback position, understood the A&M offense inside and out, made good decisions with the football, was smart with the football, didn't turn it over a whole lot. And then he went out and he had a really good senior bowl week, really good game in the senior bowl, win senior bowl MVP, three-year starter, guy that balls out in the senior bowl. These are a lot of Patriots types of boxes. I'm not necessarily saying he's my favorite quarterback in the draft, far from it, but these are a lot of Patriots types of boxes. And at what point, you know, do you start to look at some of those things on day two and you say, okay, he's got the experience, he's got the size, he's got the arm, he's got the makeup. This is their top guy, at least on day two of the draft. I mean, I can see that. I mean, he's my QB6. Um, yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about Mond is he's such a high-variance prospect. I mean, you watch his game against Florida. What it, I think his very first throw in that game this year, cover four, it's clear cover four, off coverage, corners playing off, he's throwing the speed out, and he just stares at it. And the CB jumps it, and it should have been a pick six. And you're thinking, how could a guy, three-year starter, see this, like, static cover four look? They had motion and everything, so he should have known – and still make that bad of a read on the throw. Like, there are times when he tried to be too cute, 
And he's just not that talented to be too cute. Like just, just make the throw. And then two plays later, he gets a blitz in his face and he makes a time and rhythm speed out anticipation throw with a defender right in his grill. And it's like, how is this the same quarterback on the same exact drive? I don't get it. But you know, that's kind of it with him. He's so high variance. I can see the upside. I can see the talent. You can see the raw ability. And obviously we've all seen that throw from his pro day where it looks like he's throwing a nerf ball. You know, I, I thought that I thought that clip was edited, to be honest. I was like, that's not the same throw. Um, I didn't think he had that in him either. And I, I didn't think he had it in him. Yeah. Like, I thought that was one of those little hutch balls with a, like, Texas A&M logo. But, you know, there's certainly talent there. To, and at some point, you look at the ability to make anticipation throws. You look at the ability to make some time and rhythm throws, the experience. He's one of those quarterbacks that checks some of the Parcells boxes if the Patriots still believe in the Parcells rules, it's tougher and tougher to find QBs that do these days. And so I think you start getting into, say, you know, the comp pick at 96 if he's there. Like, okay, I, I'd be okay with that. Um, at, at 46, I just, I, I don't know if I could go there. Um, but I don't know if he'll even be there at 46 because again, you might see this sort of late buzz with QBs like moving up the boards. Mond might be that guy. You're hearing both Mond and Mills are getting some like early day two, maybe sneak into the end of the first round. That might be Jim Nagy, you know, gassing up two guys that could have been and one was at the senior bowl, but I don't know if he'll be there at 46. Um, I'd be much more comfortable with both of those guys at 96, but we'll see. So right. uh, again, this is, you know, to go back to, to my last point, and when we did a, we did a live mock draft on Thursday, and Evan was talking about trading up to 31 to get Kellen Mond. And I just feel like if that's the path you're going to go, and just to go back to some of what Evan said, and what you said, Mark, you know, what are you using those picks on? Well, your two starting corners are on one-year deals. Your two starting tackles are on one-year deals. Your starting safeties in his mid, uh, mid and late thirties. You don't have a quarterback. I, I know, None but, 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 but what I'm saying, but it does. It ultimately does. And especially if you don't have somebody, Nine you're going to have to trade up next year. You eliminate needs now for next year. So my question is, is Mark coming off all of this is let's say Mons there at 46, but you can get, you know, a guy like Aaron Stokes, a guy like Tevin Jenkins at 46, how big is the gap in terms of, not necessarily the gap in talent, but the gap in terms of, you know, how sure are you that this guy is going to be something, that this guy is going to be an NFL starter? How big is the gap between a Kellen Mond and, say, a Felipe Franks that it's worth taking the shot at 46 versus 246? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a pretty big gap between, you keep coming back to Felipe Franks. That's um, just my, that's I'm not a, like seventh I, round I made guy. I mean, you can say Sam Ellinger, anybody but Ian Book, whoever you want to throw in there. I, I made yeah. out pick a guy because he refused to pick a guy outside of the top five quarterbacks. I said, you have to pick one. And he comes back to me with Felipe Franks. And I'm I mean, like, he does have a nice arm. I'll, I'll give he him does. That. And I just, and he, he has the experience, right? He, long time starter, two systems. I just don't, I not want to you don't need to use a premium pick to get him. No, Evan, this is the Felipe Franks show. We're going to spend the next 20 minutes breaking down Felipe Franks and his game. I mean, I, I think the, the, to use your sort of analogy, your, your situation there, your hypothetical, Alex, I'd rather have sort of say Stokes or, or Tevin Jenkins at 46 or at 31. Um, yeah. you know, than Kellen Mond. I, I mean, I, I'm more of the mind that like Mond, Mills at 96, or even if you have to move up a little bit in the third round. But I, I, I think, you know, the talent levels of these quarterbacks isn't as much a, a draw for me as it is in other years. I'd rather go get guys that you think could be contributors right now, even if it's just on special teams, sub packages, whatever, or a guy like Tevin Jenkins who, you know, maybe you kick him inside to guard and maybe you sort of look at filling the guard position that way, you know, an interior backup that can be a smart starter right now rather than a guy like Mon that you might have to season for a year or two. Let's uh, let's talk about some of these other day two, day three guys. Um, mentioned, we mentioned Kyle Trask a little bit. I wrote about him the other day. I have a lot of concerns about his just physical ability, right? He's not an athlete. He, he should have a bigger arm than he does, it feels like. At his size, he should be able to throw it down the field. I know there might have been sort of like an underlying injury there last year with him, and uh, there, there's some struggles there. But any, any love for Kyle Trask whatsoever, Mark, or, or are you just kind of – Man, I'm, I'm pretty much out on Kyle Trask. I mean, he's QB, yeah. he's QB eight for me, so he's after both Mond and Mills. Um, you know, I, I think, look, I, I always bring up Colt McCoy every draft cycle, like the guy that could be like long-term backup, spot starter, West Coast system, and that's what kind of Kyle Trask feels like to me. I think if you have a guy that had Trayvon Grimes, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, 
I, I think I could be pretty successful and put up decent numbers, you know, throwing to those guys. And so, you know, Trask, you know, not a super athlete, um, does seem impervious to pressure at times, but maybe that's because he just can't move. Like, I think he does a pretty good job, like, fighting against pressure and finding ways to get rid of the football. But there's nothing about him that really, like, blows the doors off for me. You know, I understand that, you know, he might be the sixth quarterback taken maybe, um, but I think he's pretty schematically limited. Um, I think he's more of a pure West Coast guy than anybody else. I think the arm, arm concerns show up on film. Um, and yeah, there might have been an underlying injury and maybe if the medicals check out from that standpoint, you might be a little bit easy, you know, feel a bit better about it, but he doesn't really sort of get me excited, uh, you know, out of this sort of day two, day three crawl. I just wish that for a guy that doesn't have all the physical talents, like Mac Jones, for example, might not have the athleticism, the arm talent, but he makes great decisions with the football. Yeah. Kyle Trask tends to have one or two a game where are just head scratching decisions on on tape. And if you're going to d- draft a guy like that, he's got to be a safe player, right? He's got to be somebody that takes care of the ball and kind of is is that game manager. And right now, I, I feel like there's just too many times. I mean, there was a throw where he just throws, you know, it's a quarters or a too high structure, and he just throws right into the safety, into double coverage. And, yeah. and it was almost intercepted. And you're like, at this stage of your career, you've, you've had enough starts under your belt. You know you're not, you know, Trey Lance or Justin Fields out here with an absolute hose. How do you not make smarter decisions with the ball than that, right? And, of course, he's got, like, a wide-open guy right at the sticks that he misses and trying to throw deep. Those are the hesitations I have with Trask. Uh, I want to ask you about Jamie Newman as well. It took me a couple of times to watch Jamie Newman for, for me to start to see any sort of potential there. Second or third time through, I finally start to see, okay, this guy's really calm in the pocket. When he gets pressured, it's not a big deal to him. Uh, he can move around. Obviously, he's got good athleticism, good arm. He does have check the Patriots boxes in terms of size and stuff like that as well. But uh, I, I still think that there's a lot left to be desired when you watch Jamie Newman on tape. Yeah, I mean, there are some things that he does well. I think handle and pressure he does well. And I think part of that is a function of how that Wake Forest offense was structured, which basically created pressure with that sort of move and mesh where he's walking towards a lot of scrimmage and then pulling and throwing late. Now he's got traffic in his face to do it. So I think that sort of developed a, a sort of ability to sort of ignore pressure, ignore trash at his feet and make throws. And so I think he does that part of the game well. I think the athleticism is there. I think he has natural arm talent. Um, you know, but again, you have a quarterback that a lot of the other stuff is yet to be filled in. You know, particularly in terms of like, are there instances where he works through reads? Yeah, but a lot of it was RPOs, design throws, one read stuff. I, I think if you want to put the sort of one read quarterback label on one of these guys in this draft, I think it's more Jamie Newman than Justin Fields. Yeah. Um, even some of their designs at, at Wake, they had, you know, design pump fakes built into them where he's supposed to pump to the running back on a swing before throwing a dig route in the middle of the field. And so it was a very simplified offense. So I think the learning curve will be steep for him. But, you know, the talent is certainly there. And I think as you start thinking about getting to this point of the draft, you start thinking as an organization, what could this player offer us away from the field, right? You know, I think Jamie Newman might be the guy that, okay, we're playing the Ravens this week. You're going to be Lamar Jackson in practice. We're playing, you know, Patrick Mahomes this week. You're going to have to be Mahomes, and you can do it. So you don't have Andy Dalton trying to be Lamar Jackson. You know, you look at what Jamie Newman could perhaps offer as QB3, and there's some value there. Is it worth a day two pick? Probably not. Is it worth maybe the, the Ben Mason pick at 242? Yeah, probably. Um, so I mean, there's some allure there, but again, nothing where you're like, this guy's going to be the Dak Prescott of his class. That I don't see. The Ben Mason pick. I love it. Let me, yeah, cause I, I, too bad. no, I'm, I, 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 they're going to have a real fullback battle in camp this year between Johnson, yeah. Vitals back, Mason. I'm all for it. Let me ask you this, cause it goes back to something I said earlier in the show, right? I have been a proponent of if you can't get the guy, Try to push assets back to next year. Be be in a in a spot to trade up just just early on. Who are some names from next year's class that you like? Uh, Spencer Rattler, obviously the kid from Oklahoma. Yep. Um, Malik Willis, the Liberty kid. Um, I really like him. Uh, I think he's kind of going under the radar right now. There's a lot of buzz about Sam Howell, the UNC quarterback. Um, I just haven't gotten there. You know. I you agree. know when I. When I spend so much time watching, you know, Javante Williams, DME Brown, who I love, by the way, I love DME Brown. Me too. Um, I, I just felt like Howell was okay. 
Like I, I didn't really see that as much. I know there's a lot of hype about the Oregon kid, um, whose name escapes him right now. You know, this could be an intriguing class next year. Um, you know, there will always be a name that sort of comes out of nowhere. Keaton Slovis is, is, is a name that's gotten some buzz. JT Daniels, of course. Um, so it could be a very intriguing quarterback class next year. Now they're all sort of question marks right now. I don't think there's a sure, like, Trevor Lawrence of that group. I don't think there's a Justin Fields of that group. I'm sure by, say, you know, September and August, we'll talk ourselves into some of these guys because that's how this process always works. Um, so there are some names to watch. There are some players to watch. I, I think Radler is certainly intriguing. I think the Liberty Kid Willis is intriguing as well. How I'm just kind of lukewarm on right now. But there will be quarterbacks that will come up. We will break them down, and we will talk ourselves into them over the next year. That's how this you, all works. You didn't mention – I'm, I'm sorry if I jumped you there. I didn't, I, I didn't know if we were, if you had an Ian Book or Sam Ellinger question, by the way. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I didn't want to get his 30 second take on Davis Mills real fast. Just okay. Yep. Him a few times, but we haven't really dug deep into it. I did a Davis Mills film review today and I compared him, his tape a lot to what I saw at Auburn from Jared Stidham, where one play he makes a fantastic throw. The next play he's throwing the ball to a flat corner like he's the intended receiver, right? You know, in those kind of ups and downs, uh, PFF's number is 17 turnover worthy plays and 11 career starts. That's not very good. That's, that's not great. And a bulk of those came against UCLA. That UCLA game though, I, I loved studying that because, you know, what he, what he did for me in that game was sort of check that competitive toughness box because you know, you watch that UCLA game. They're up 20 to three. And then in a blink of an eye, it's 34 20 UCLA. He's right. been sacked. He's thrown three picks. One of which was that disastrous pick six that you just talked about everywhere. Yeah. He threw it to the flat defender. And it's like, there's nobody within 20 yards of this. I don't know what you're doing, but he didn't give up. Like I thought that kid was going to fold the tent, you know, but he didn't battle back. They won that game in overtime. Um, you know, competitive toughness is a, a trait that I put pretty high on my scale. Um, you know, and I and when I talked when I wrote about Mills, I said, look, I missed on that with Dak Prescott. I didn't give it enough weight, even though I saw it in him. Um, and so I've changed my grading scale since then. And my next quarterback was Watson, number one, for that same reason. Do I think that you know Davis Mills is Dak Prescott? No. Does he have an injury history? Yeah, and it's a bit of a troubled one. Is he inexperienced? Absolutely. Should he have stayed another year? I do think so. Um, but you know, he has that asset to him, which I think is important. I think he's, again, one of these dark throws, but if he's there at 96, I'd be more than okay with it. Yeah, I, I guess I could talk myself into it as a third or a fourth round pick as long as they recognize that this is not – you can't just put him in there as the answer, right? No. You know, you can't say we drafted Davis Mills, we have our quarterback. It's a lot similar – I think it's more of the same as Jared Stidham, right? I think he's got a li- – I like him a little bit more than Jared Stidham coming out, but I think that both of them are sort of in the same category more or less. And, and the one thing that you do see with Davis Mills – is that ability to throw between the numbers, right? Yeah. With, with good zip down the seam, things like that. A lot of really good, especially against UCLA, a ton of really good seam throws on that tape. And that's something that you could definitely talk yourself into. But again, they blitz, the, the structure rotates, the corner comes down into the flat, pick six. You know, and, and then you have a, the other throw, uh, the C3 corner is just reading his eyes the entire time. He throws the seam anyways, jumps it. You know, yeah. and that was supposed to be uh, – the draft network does a great job of putting the best and the worst games for each prospect in their profile, which I absolutely love because I love to watch the best game and then show me the worst. Yeah. And I can find yeah. it somewhere, somewhere in the middle. And his best game was supposed to be UCLA, and he threw three interceptions in the game. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is a boomer bust guy through and through. And, and I, I'm all, all set on that at this point for the Patriots for the most part. I, I think if you're going to take a dart throw, like I've been saying, though, third or fourth round, if you have to wait that long, it's probably Davis Mills. You know, he's probably the, the best bet that you're going to have. Maybe a better value play than overpaying for Kellen Mond and drafting Kellen Mond with 46 is to wait on Davis Mills with one of those fourth rounders or 96 or whatever the case may be. Um, well, that's a jam packed hour though, Mark. We always really appreciate you coming on and, uh, answering even Alex's questions about Felipe Franks and, and, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, I'm just, I'm just glad I had somebody on here with me to defend Cole McDonald. There, look, I, Cole McDonald was one of my favorite guys to talk to last year at the draft, at the combine, man. When he gave that answer about, you know, hair grows back, opportunity doesn't as to why he cut the dreads. I mean, and even better was the fact that it was Trevor Sikama, who also, very handsome man, lovely locks on Trevor, uh, who asked that question. 
I think that was fantastic. But Alex, man, anytime you want to chat about Cole McDonald, you know where to find me because I love that kid. Oh, it yeah. always comes back to Cole McDonald with Alex. Every single I, time here, here's what I always said about him. Why do I just do that if we can just sign Cole McDonald? Was, was he the best quarterback in, in that draft? No, but if you, if you put on a football game and Cole McDonald is playing, you're going to have fun watching it. Yeah. That's what it Absolutely. comes down to. He was the most fun quarterback in college football. Actually. Remember his, his first game last year against Arizona? Oh yeah. Where like he like threw five picks and got benched. Like he's yeah. like, he's a literal like quarterback roller coaster. I love a lightning it. rod. I love yeah. it. All right. Well, <laughs> this is the thing. Evan doesn't like having fun on the podcast. It's nice to have somebody I can I can have fun. No, everybody always says that that Alex is the is the jokester and he he's he has more fun and I'm the serious one. I'm sorry. I I just I have to cut the line at Felipe Franks and Cole McDonald. I just I can't let us have a real conversation about any of those guys. But I think the guys that we did talk about tonight, today, I was going to say tonight, but it was actually this morning, and that the six or seven guys that we did mention. We can at least talk about being quarterbacks that potentially the Patriots could take in the first three or four rounds of the draft in a few weeks. And hopefully they're able to make an aggressive move and get their guy early. Cause as Mark said, I, I do, I think that there are some chances on guys in day two and I'm never going to rule out the Dak or the or Kirk Cousins or Russell Wilson path for somebody, but certainly it does feel like it's the top five guys or 2022 as Mel Kiper put it. It's not a terrible way to look at this draft or any draft, really, because at the end of the day, only one of these guys is probably going to end up being good, and it's probably going to be Trevor Lawrence, and everybody else is probably going to be bad. So, so that that's usually how this works. Maybe Justin Fields can sneak in there as well. But uh, Alex and I will be back on Thursday with a mock draft, live mock draft. We're going to try to do better than we did last week and not, uh, and not mess around as much as we do with the trades. So we'll be back on uh, Thursday night to do a live mock draft. Thank you so much again, Mark, for coming on. I DM Mark all the time, and he answers my quarterback questions no problem. So I really appreciate all of that as well. And, it, and it's free advice too, which I, I, I definitely appreciate. But it's always great talking to you, Mark. And uh, I'm sure if they draft a quarterback early, then we're going to come knocking again to uh, have a much longer discussion about that guy. Absolutely. You guys know where to find me. Alex, uh, Evan, this was a blast. Evan, don't stop asking the questions, man. Whenever you need something answered, I'll try to do my best. But at this point, man, you don't need any help. You're doing it pretty well on your own. But uh, right. guys, it's been a ton of fun, man. Appreciate you guys. Mark, is there anything that you want to plug specifically of your work, uh, Touchdown Wire, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, Doug Farrar and I do a top 11 at each position. I actually did top 14 receivers because there were guys like Amon Ross St. Brown and Amari Rogers that I just, I just could not leave out. Uh, by the way, Amari, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is my Julian Edelman 2.0, by the way. That I, guy's I, great. I love, I her love watching that kid, man. I've met Doug Alex a few times just. He's like Jacoby Myers, but a little bit faster to me, which is yeah. exactly what the Patriots should be looking for. That's the profile they should be hunting, right? Is they know Jacoby Myers works, but he's just not that great of an athlete to like be this generational type of player for them. So just go out there and get Jacoby Myers that runs in the high four fours instead of a low four five or four six. You know, that, that yeah. that's the guy that I would always be looking for now. So, yeah, we're doing top 11, top 14 at different positions. You can check those out at uh, touch.wire.usatoday.com. Awesome. Sounds good. Definitely go ahead and check that out and check out Mark's Twitter. Uh, he posts a lot of quarterback uh, videos and stuff like that as well. But again, mock draft Thursday night. We'll be back on the pod next Tuesday to talk more draft as well. Thanks to everybody that watched live, everybody watched after the fact, and we'll be uh, back on Thursday night. Thanks, guys.